Hello, and welcome to Conversations on Sex, Addiction, and Relationships. I'm Wendy Conquest, and I'm here with Tim Stein and Dan Drake. Jeannie Batoni is unfortunately not with us today, but you will see her in the uh, next podcast. Today, we're wanting to talk about anxiety. And we specifically picked this topic because, well, we're finding that a lot of people, both clients and friends and family and dare I say ourselves are experiencing some different levels of anxiety than perhaps we did in the past. Um, would you, Dan, Tim, would you agree with that statement? You just have to look out on the, the roads here in Los Angeles to see <laughs> things are different than they used to be. People are aggressive. They seem to be road ragey. So yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more going on right now. Mm -hmm. Tim, how about for you? I don't know if I would say that I noticed it being significantly different. I, I find people being a little bit more edgy and sort of like struggling to figure out how to, how to get out there, which I, I suppose is a, an aspect of, of anxiety. Um, but my experience is that people have often struggled with anxiety. And, I, and when I say that, what I really mean is people struggle with allowing themselves to feel a normal amount of anxiety and allow it to motivate them without looking at that anxiety as being a negative mm -hmm. or a bad thing or something to, to, to escape. Right. So maybe we need a working definition of anxiety and, and what that is. And is there such a thing as healthy anxiety? And then when does it become unhealthy? Yeah. So, um, and, and I guess I have another question, which is how do we, mm, so, so we talk a lot about trauma, um, and, uh, post-traumatic, uh, stress disorder and betrayal trauma. We talk a lot about that. So is anxiety a piece of that, or is it distinct? when someone goes into a, a, a triggered state or a, tra a traumatic state, is that different than anxiety? Um, hmm. So, you know, as I'm talking about this, I, I find that um, some people are sort of in a chronic state of um, overthinking things, of being um, very activated on a level, um, and because we work a lot with sex addiction, betrayal, trauma, I could say uh, I see that both in, in with addicts and with partners. Um, so sort of this, this hyper, uh, hyper awareness that becomes, um, how do I say this? That becomes part of just their, their working psyche. Like it, it, it's, it's something that they be that that uh, they become accustomed to, so that feels very normal. And then let me distinguish this though: when, um, um, especially for partners, when the sex addiction becomes discovered, that switches into a traumatic experience. I think it's. I was just thinking the distinction. I think it's worth. It, it seems like there is crossover, but they're distinct. So I, I, I hear what you're saying, Wendy. Like, I think both 
if I'm anxious, my, uh, my sympathetic nervous system is I'm, I'm kind of, you know, jacked up. <laughs> I'm escalated. I've got sympathetic nervous system arousal. And I think you could say the same thing with trauma or PTSD triggers, but it feels different. There's the different threat level. There's a somatic response that's different. I think, you know, when it comes to trauma, that feels different, but I think both of them have your, your sympathetic nervous system is, is heightened. Yeah. As I'm thinking about it, I mean, neurologically, there's a process that goes on with trauma that when somebody is experiencing trauma, we see the frontal lobe of the brain sort of go dark. We see the survival brain uh, take over and start running the show. Uh, and we see um, uh, survival mechanisms take priority over other cognitive um, uh, thoughts or 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 guides that take place in our life. Um, I don't think we see the same type of response in anxiety, and anxiety runs a whole gamut from, um, you know, something. I, I, I'm, I'm kind of bored and I just feel like I want to do something, uh, which is a low level of anxiety to, um, um, you know, uh, feeling hyper aware and nervous and scared and sort of hyper vigilant to everything around me. Um, I think that they're very connected because I think we see a lot of anxiety responses related to trauma. But so I think that there's a connection between the two. But I would I would see them as 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 separate entities. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. How how does anxiety show up for you guys? Mm. <laughs> I get irritable and grumpy. Oh. Um, when I was in college, um, I had I, I remember this distinctly. When I was in college, I was in college, you know, staying up late, hanging out with my friends, you know, sort of managing my own life, and then I went home in the summer, and my parents you know, wanted to parent me again. And the the conflict between being at home and living under their rules in their house, but having had a year of sort of um, living my life and making my own decisions and being responsible in my own way, uh, really uh, hit each other. And I, um, I, I started to have stomach aches and stomach issues over that summer. So it'll show up in GI issues sometimes. Hmm. Um, but yeah, usually when I when when I'm anxious, I I get irritable and grumpy. I find myself circling back and making a lot of amends. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I I am really intrigued with this topic because as I'm thinking about it, uh, I definitely um, feel a spectrum of anxiety, and so I might have some anxiety if um, I am behind in my notes and I, I it's the end of the day and I'm getting tired and I should be doing you know finishing up on the notes and you know so there's this uh, struggle of I'm tired but I need to do this and so so I could say okay I'm I'm anxious about this task that I need to finish um, and and uh, I love to talk about how that feels in the body. And so it's it's this um, it's this this sort of twittering um, in um, in my torso. And um, I would say 
a slight pressure in my head. Um, and then, of course, once I get into the task, then there's no problem. The anxiety completely goes away. I'm focused on that task and it gets completed. Um, and I, I think also anxiety around, um, uh, uh, well, gosh, you know, anxiety can come from so many things, thinking you did something wrong, um, thinking that um, you're not doing enough, thinking that you're perhaps doing too much and uh, you need to take a vacation. Um, thinking, you know, and, and, and as I'm saying this, I, the word thinking is coming up a lot, mm -hmm. right? So can we say that the majority of anxiety comes from what, what we're perceiving and how we're um, internalizing that? Of course, anxiety can certainly come from something that happens from the outside. Uh, anything from someone cuts you off in traffic and you get upset and so then there's there's a difference between anxiety and anger hmm. which i'm realizing right now right there's a difference between anxiety and anger well i, I i'd love to have that conversation about what sort of creates anxiety but dan before we go there how does it show up for you <laughs> i was just thinking yeah um a few different ways i actually think for me not all anxiety is bad. I think it, it motivates me. It, it, um, it, in a, if there's a sweet spot where I, it kind of motivates me to take care of stuff that needs to get taken care of. But I would say on the whole, I have a couple, you want, you want to like a, uh, to get into my neurotic brain for a second. <laughs> is that okay? All right. My, so one, one delusion that I have is that, um, number one that I can get work that work will be done at some point there's a there's this delusion I have that I will finish work there's another one that says there's a there's a, um uh there's enough hours in the day to do all this in so I think most of my day when I'm in my kind of neurotic anxious place I'm trying to I'm trying to maximize all the stuff because I think I think I can get it all done, and and I'm worried there's not enough hours in the day that to get it done in. So I'm I'm always trying to go faster and make things more efficient. So for me, I get laser focused on tasks, and I think I I I can forget what's most important. So I get in the moment, and I'll be, I don't know, it could be writing a check to this thing or doing that. It doesn't matter. It could be the smallest thing, and I'll lose sight of what's important because I feel the feeling for me is feeling overwhelmed. I feel out of control. I feel, you know, um, kind of helpless, powerless. And so for me, knocking out tasks makes me feel more in control. And we were talking about this just right before we started recording. I'm two weeks out from having a baby. Um, my wife's pregnant and for a second, and I'm, I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how it's all going to you know, how to adjust to having another one bringing in. So I feel all this stuff and I found myself just trying to get hyper-focused on taking care of all the logistics that need to get taken care of. Whereas once I could just sit with the fact that I felt helpless and scared and overwhelmed and anxious, oh, that actually, my, I, my body settled because I was trying to take care of this 
unknown anxiety in ways that weren't actually solving the problem because the it's, it's more of just this acknowledging the feelings that were there. So I don't know, for me, it shows up a lot of different ways, but I get um, hyper-focused on tasks and my schedule and logistics, and I get kind of rigid in those things. So for me, what I've found myself, I, I, I have to go, you know, we talked about thinking, Wendy, for me, I have to go get out of my head. For me, I go running, I do things, I, I walk to work, I, I'm doing more meditation. I'm trying to do things that are uh, expanding my my view of of what's important of myself and about my surroundings so that's a little I, bit for me i think it's really important um for us to talk about you know how do we know if we're anxious so for our listeners um how how would you listeners identify you know when you're anxious and when you're not anxious and so um but, let's, wanna... but let's expand that a little bit because like dan was saying for him, and I agree, this matches for me as well. There's that sweet spot where anxiety is really motivating and helpful. And I don't know that people worry about, or that as a clinician that I'm worried that people are aware that there's anxiety that's helping them in that sweet spot. And I actually think that usually anxiety on some level is floating most of the time. I I kind of, I, I find myself as we're having this conversation thinking, that anxiety is kind of like that emotional friction just that happens just because we're living life. Okay. So I'm going to argue with you a little bit. Okay. So, so I'm going to bring in John Gottman's work, which is basically, he says, if you are above resting heart rate, you shouldn't be having a conversation. So he's saying, right. That, that, and Dan referred to it before that, that sympathetic nervous system is online and so you're in some sort of fight or flight mode. Okay. And so a conversation or I'm going to say an action in that state probably won't go well. So now the conversation goes to, can you be not anxious and be above resting heart rate? So I'll to put it in the other one. If you're above resting heart rate, does that mean you're in some state of anxiety? And I think the follow-up question is, is it, and is that bad? Gottman would say yes, that if you're above resting heart rate, it is bad because you're in fight or flight. Um, now, what I think we talked about is, well, um, sometimes do people have to force themselves into fight or flight in order to get a task done or in order... You know, my, my thought is uh, we probably have to redo that somehow. If you have to force yourself into fight or flight to get something done or to, then there's, there's that, there just doesn't, that doesn't seem to be a healthy way to be living. No, but I mean, but I'm also thinking, and I know we're not, we, we need to get back to how do you know you're feeling it, but like, like when we first did this podcast, our very first episode of this podcast, I will say that I was certainly feeling significant anxiety about yeah. walking in, recording with all of you. I have so much respect. Am I going to be able to hang with you guys? You know, all, all that that anxiety, we're putting this out on a public forum and our people, people are going to see it. So there was a, a certain level of anxiety. I don't experience that same level of anxiety now when we sit down to do those podcasts. Right. But I still feel a level of anxiety, the, which I don't want to get rid of because it motivates me to be prepared, to be thoughtful, 
to 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 not just walk in and 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 go off the go off the cuff without having thought about what I want to say. Mm-hmm. So, okay. and I experience that in all kinds of places. I used to experience that with therapy. I experience that when I do presentations. I experience that when I play sports. You know, there's a level of anxiety when I get into it. It often drops away, mm-hmm. but that but I I don't think about that level of anxiety walking in as a bad thing. I think about it as a oh. It's a wake-up call of I'm walking in to do something, and and my body and my mind and my my whole psyche, my whole my whole self is prepared for what this is. Do we need to make a distinction between anxiety and excitement? Um, because what, I, I hear you right with that first with that first podcast. Um, I was very aware that, you know, how am I going to look on screen? How am I going to sound? And all those different pieces of, oh, but there was a level of excitement too, of, wow, we're really doing this thing. Oh my gosh, what about my hair? You know, but so it would, you know, that's like between, um, um, you know, sort of, I I would say maybe like a worry or concern, right? Or, or, you know, yeah, anxiety. I don't know for me if it pushed into anxiety. It was so. I guess how are we defining? Let's back up. Anxiety yeah. is anything that goes over my resting heart rate that puts me in a anxiety is fight or flight. Basically, is what you're saying. Well, I I, I looked up certain symptoms of of anxiety. And so, you know, they, they range from muscle tension, compulsive action, sleep problems, self-consciousness, having a sense of impending danger, panic, or doom, having Mm -hmm. an increased heart rate, breathing rapidly, sweating, trembling, (laughs) feeling weak or tired, trouble concentrating. So, you know, if we're, you know, I think this is what we're trying to do is what the heck is this thing? that we're saying is anxiety. They're, they're in the DSM, right? Our diagnostic manual, we have uh, anxiety disorder, yeah. which I think is different than what we're talking about. Right. I think, I think we're having this conversation about there's what we refer to as like an anxiety disorder or problematic anxiety. And I think the conversation that we're having now is, is that a separate entity or is that part of a larger continuum mm-hmm. and and i i my perspective is i think it's part of a larger continuum i think anxiety is a part of life i think anxiety will always be there and that's not a negative thing it actually helps us to experience to be present to um you know it helps with motivation it it it, it it's a part of of of, of living every day knowing that things you know, aren't always going to work out the way that I planned. And, and sometimes it's just about being present and and living. It's one of those things that helps me know I'm alive. That isn't necessarily a bad thing. And that part of the continuum, from my experience, is not something I would encourage anybody to get rid of, although I think some people even find that uncomfortable. And then there's that other end of the continuum that we're talking about, which is that intense fear, uh, uh, persistent worry about everyday life and, and situations and are they going to worry and where it can become debilitating, overwhelming, problematic and have those physical, significant physical side effects that, that, that we're talking about. I, I don't know. That's my perception is, is I see it as more of a continuum. Do you guys uh, agree? 
I always think I'm right, but do you? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess maybe it's it's semantics. What do we call on on one end of the the continuum if it is on a continuum? I mean, mm -hmm. I think of um, most of how I grow is I challenge myself and I'm challenging myself out of my comfort zone. If I'm out of my comfort zone, I'm feeling fear and I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling nervous. So I found once I'm able to accomplish something outside of my comfort zone, I, I feel I've expanded myself. I feel, I feel a sense of accomplishment. I feel, you know, proud of myself and that feels good. But if I stop myself now feeling overwhelmed and completely debilitated is a whole other thing, obviously, you know, in anxiety, but I feel fear and nervousness for a lot of things I do. And it's, and I, I choose to show up and, and take a courageous act to, to, you know, take the contrary act. So yeah. is that, should I not do it because my heart rate is elevated? Should I find a new way of coming into those situations? Sure. I think for me that that's been a, a, a lot of the work I've done is to affirm who I am at my core. Cause sometimes if I'm feeling afraid, it's, I'm feeling, uh, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of being exposed. Uh, my inadequacies might show up. I I'm vulnerable. So, so then what will people think? And, you know, will I be attacked or something? That was a lot of my anxieties initially. Now I've become more, okay with who I am and putting myself out there but for sure initially it was I was had a lot of fears and anxieties about that but I don't know I maybe there's a different way to look at it but that does seem motivating for me to challenge myself mm -hmm. yeah I think um what I, what what popped into my head is um with our nervous systems we're actually supposed to have our nervous systems rise but then drop down again so um we see this a lot with horses um, horses are herd animals, and so they their their nervous systems will heighten when they think there's a, a, a danger in their environment, and then they drop down again. And then you know, they, so so um, basically, all animals will have this type of vigilance and then calming again. And as human beings, we're supposed to have that too. We don't want to be up too much of the time, and we don't want to be down too much of the time. We want to be sort of in that sweet spot of arousal. Um, so maybe that's, you know, Tim, to, to you know, mm. to address your... So, I, 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 so here's my question. I, I love how you just framed it. So what do you two find most helpful? And I'm going to start on, 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 on the activation side. What do you two find most helpful to sort of activate you, to bring that anxiety up, to move you into that that sweet spot for motivation, for action, for, for uh, involvement in life. Waking up in the morning. <laughs> I start pretty revved up to begin with. So I usually, I don't err typically on the other side. I'm, already, I'm kind of ready to go. I, I, if I have one place, I, I, I will go into problematic anxiety versus depression typically. So that's usually I'm too revved. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting. So, so um, I, I, I think I'm at my optimal meaning. So I know that I'm in my optimal when I'm being creative. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, that is about um, getting up in the morning and sitting and drinking some water and spending some time with my, uh, with my animals actually quiet Um so finding a place away from everyone else to do that. Um, and then I, I love the five minute journal. Um, and then I love actually journaling. 
And those uh, things put me in a different headspace for the whole day, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so I don't know, you know, so, so in a way it's a calming down, um, moving from the sleep world into the awake world, um, and, and having this balance of sort of hope and, 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 and being motivated, um, but not with that really, uh, high, there's too much to do. I, 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 I um, I'm overwhelmed, you know, that that doesn't come into play when I do these practices. Yeah, no, it's a calming down, but it's also an activation. Like I've been on vacation the last couple of weeks and I've been uh, sick. I I came down with COVID, which has been lots of fun. Um, But I find myself um, uh, craving like morning yoga, which is something that my wife and I had gotten into doing. Um, And it it, it it for me it's while it's a grounding thing it's also an activating thing it gets me moving and it also it pushes me i notice that it uh it, it challenges my body it challenges my balance it challenges my flexibility um all those things when i um i'm with you i do a lot of creative stuff when i'm uh playing music and i'm pushing myself on a new song or into a new technique you know that 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 is bringing me uh, motivation and, and there's the anxiety of am I doing this right or am I going to figure this out um, but there's also you know like you were saying Dan outside your comfort zone one of my favorite quotes I can't tell you who said it but is uh, you know growth happens at the edge of our comfort zone there's that piece about you know I I I find it helpful to push myself out to that edge of my comfort zone I don't want to live there but I I, I, I push myself out there because that's where, where growth happens for me can I say on on that? I think it's a really good point, Tim. I've I realized it took me a long time. I'm embarrassed to say it, but um, as a therapist, I th- I think if I was honest early on, I wanted my clients to feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would and I think I overstepped in sometimes because maybe I got uncomfortable if things got too painful or too intense or something. Um, I've learned over the years that I'm I'm invested in my client's safety. Absolutely. I want them to feel 100% safe as much as possible, but not as much in comfort, because I don't think if I'm doing too much to manage comfort, then they may not be growing either. So anyway, that's just something I've, I've learned. And I would say for myself that, that I've, I've seen in my own, my yeah. own experience. Yeah, learning to be able to sit with our clients in their discomfort mm-hmm. and not pull it away, but to let them use it to motivate and move forward. I wanted to come back to this piece that that Dan said about being courageous. And mm-hmm. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt that said, do one courageous thing every day. And so does do one thing a day that scares you. Oh, that's right. Okay. Is it? I was just, it? I that's just, the way I've always I heard it. We did Eleanor Roosevelt. So yes. <laughs> do, so if, Which is the same thing though, right? Because that's that's courage. Same, I think it is the same thing, right? If you if something scares you and you face it, you know, are you being courageous? Um, so I, I like this it, um, because if we reframe that as a thought, right? I'm uh, I'm scared of this and I have to manage it or I have to that I think it's different than, okay, I'm going to, how do I face this thing courageously? Yeah. And how do I move, you know, and how do I do something about it? And I, 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 the, I love that quote. And, and the piece that I also want to imply it, bring into this is 
that quote doesn't say, do one thing that scares you and be successful at it. <laughs> it, it it's be courageous and stretch yourself. And you may not, it may not work out the way you want. You, you may not be successful at this thing that you're trying. That doesn't mean it's unhelpful. It doesn't mean you're not growing from it. And I think, but I think there is another side too. So to do things that be courageous and things that scare us, but also know, know when it's going to be too much for us. Like if there's something that, um, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try a triathlon tomorrow. I'm just not in shape for it. <laughs> that would scare me. I do not want, I don't enjoy swimming, especially in the ocean for that long. So I'm not going to do that. That's, and I guess just knowing our limitations as well, or, yeah. or what, where our systems, where's our growth edge versus, you know, what's one step forward versus 300. I think that's a really important point is um, boundaries. Hmm. Um, so, you know, and as soon as I say that word, I go, oh my gosh, um, I probably get anxious when there is something wrong with a boundary dynamic. Mm. someone's either invaded my boundary or um i have a boundary but they um how do i say this um it's tricky right because boundaries seem to say don't do something um but there's also this piece around being abandoned right mm. none of us want to be abandoned and so i certainly have anxiety when an abandonment issue comes up um, so either one of those two, whether it's abandonment or invasion, um, my, you know, spidey senses start, start coming online. So in those moments, there's an opportunity for growth. You know, somebody's crossed my boundary and I have the opportunity of growth of learning that I can tolerate that, of learning how to sort of push back and reassert my boundary, what, whatever that is, but there's an opportunity for growth, but there's also an opportunity in those moments of how do I take care of myself? So that opposite question not only how do you activate yourself so that you can be in your optimal zone mm -hmm. but when anxiety is sort of moving into that overwhelming space when it's becoming when it's taking you outside of optimal mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what what do you find helpful what are your tools that help you to get sort of grounded and, and uh, take the edge off of that anxiety so it is helpful and and supportive to you yeah I, I think when this happens, right, when it when it's going over, um, and I'm going to say it's probably uh, uh, activated trauma. Um, one of the things that I really encourage my my clients to do, and I try to do it all the time, <laughs> is um, am I in trauma brain right now? Mm -hmm. Like, am I am, because I know that part of me that comes online when a trauma trigger is activated and she's very loud she's very you need to stop this right now you know she becomes very uh assertive very aggressive um and so what i try to do is catch her before she says anything <laughs> doesn't always work but to try to catch her to say okay whoa you know whoa 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 can you um can you get some space in this situation somehow um can you take a breath can you say, I need to take a walk? Can you um, 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 go? For me, it's movement. It's, it's I've got to move out of that situation. Um, and then, and then what? Um, and then uh, try to, 
I, I try to go over, it's usually a conversation, right? Something that was said, trying to say, okay, what, what did he say? What did I hear? What do, what do I think was the motivation for why he said that? Okay, was he in the rescuer role? Okay, was he in the victim role? What's, you know, so like trying to understand what the heck just happened and then, okay, how was I triggered by that? What was threatened? Um, basically what part was threatened? What need wasn't being met? So then I go into this sort of thinking, um, uh, uh, cognitive process of what what happened, and of course, you know, the trigger for me is going to be back from childhood. It's going to be something activated, something one of my parents did. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah. For me, the um, I think it's the same thing for me. My coping response that I learned, my number one strength when I take these strengths tests are achievement. <laughs> I'm an achiever. And that's great. So I do get stuff done. But I think my way of managing love and not being abandoned was by doing stuff. So for me doing stuff, if it's if I'm thinking I have to put priority levels of things, because my brain says it, it could be the littlest thing, I sometimes lose track of what's the most important. So for me, same thing, movement helps me reshift my priorities. So that's why I have to go running, I walk as much as I can get out move, because then I can refocus and say, Okay, what's the most important? Is it cleaning up the messy kitchen right now? Or is it spending time with family? Is it, you know, making a phone call? Is it doing this meeting? Is it what, what's the most important thing for me right now? And sometimes if I'm in my overwhelmed, anxious brain, I don't know what's the most important. So movement helps me get away. Taking deep breaths. If I'm breathing from my, from my chest, I notice, you know, I'm not aware of how, how often are we aware of our breath, but I'm, I'm, you know, where am I breathing from? And I really try to take centering breaths, ground myself in the room. Sometimes I'll just stop if I'm walking outside and I'll just stop and look around myself and like notice what I'm seeing oh, I'm actually in the world, you know, I'm not in my own head. I'm what's around me. It's so there's so many things that I can focus on and try and just be in the, the present moment it helps me get, get regrounded again. And for those of you who are just joining us, uh, this is Conversations on Sex, Addiction and Relationships. And today we're talking about anxiety and trying to unpack this complicated dynamic. See, anxiety so ominously. Anxiety. <laughs> well the anxiety of are we going to explain this adequately to people <laughs> so, dan you were just talking about sort of basically mindfulness you know being present and i know for myself that uh one of the pieces that really helps me to uh to keep my anxiety in that space where it motivates me and keeps me in more of an optimal zone as opposed to pushing me over into uh what might become problematic is daily meditation. You know, when when I meditate consistently, I'm just more consistently grounded and present, and uh, it, it creates sort of a barrier where the 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 any anxiety or fears that come up, uh, you know, they they kind of slide off me like water off a duck's back much easier. Um, and when I'm not meditating, they stick a little bit more. And uh, usually, what I've also find with anxiety when I'm struggling with it, I I have to pull myself back into the here and the now. Um, one way 
I've heard people talk about depression as living in the past about what happened before and anxiety is living in the future about what might be. And when I'm in a space of anxiety that's become problematic, I'm usually trying to control something that hasn't happened yet and trying to manage something that is outside of my control. And, uh, you know, I think about uh, the book by Eckhart Tolle, um, The Power of Now, which I found very powerful for me uh, earlier in my recovery, and how important it was about just coming into the here and the now, into this present moment. Uh, and I see this with clients about helping them just focus on what is it that I can actually influence in the here and the now. And when I let go of what might be, and I, you know, there's a little bit of a spirituality piece here, which is let go of what might be and trust that it's going to work out the way it's supposed to. And I bring my focus and my attention and my energy, and I embrace what's here and now and what I can actually influence. I find that my anxiety drops and that I'm, I'm able to move more into that optimal zone and take advantage of the motivation that has come my way. Living in the serenity prayer. Living in the serenity prayer. And as much as I know that for me, you know, moving into the here and the now and what I can what I can influence and embrace is helpful. I also know that that I see people that walk into my office where that anxiety has become overwhelming. Um and um and and the the typical tools that we might use every day meditation, breathing, going for a walk are, are not are not doing it for them. And so then we talk about maybe we need to take some anti anti-anxiety medication, get some medication on board. The same way that we would have the conversation with somebody who's uh, feeling low or down or sad, but it's moved into depression. Hey, let's let's do this. I I, I do want to say when it comes to medication, I think that sometimes our culture gets con gets confused and thinks that the idea of medication is to take away all of our anxiety. And I find it much more effective. And I think the point of working with a psychiatrist to take a consistent dosage of medication is to find that optimal place where the medication is taking the edge off the anxiety, not so that you're not feeling it anymore, but that it doesn't become overwhelming to you. And you can still use that anxiety to motivate you to make change, but not be overwhelmed by it. But there are some people out there where medication uh, is really something to consider in order to allow them to take those next steps and whatever they're they're trying to manage or or, or deal with. What, what do you guys think about uh, medication? When to put it on board and and how to how to use it or guidelines for using it? Right. So I'm I'm really glad that you brought this up, Tim, um, because we don't want any of our listeners to think that um, you know you can just you know handle your anxiety all on your own, and if you don't, you're failing miserably. You know that's not what we are saying. Um, at all. And um, I think we live in a time right now where there's um, a lot of um, uncertainty and, and a lot of um, COVID was a, a completely unexpected dynamic um, that I know um, my generation had never experienced before. So, um, so um, we are under um, different stressors and different pressures. Um, and so if, if your symptoms are such where you feel like you really you, you're not coping and um, that your relationships are being affected and you're being affected, 
um, I, you know, I think collectively we're supporting you to uh, talk to your primary care physician, talk to a um, psychiatrist, talk to a, um, uh, what are the nurses that can prescribe medication? A oh, nurse practitioner. Thank you, a nurse practitioner. Um, and do an assessment and see if, um, so most anxiety, <laughs> excuse me, most anti-anxiety medications are actually antidepressants. Um, and so my experience with working with, with clients is uh, if you have a family member that has gone on uh, a, an anti-anxiety medication that works for them, that's the one that you might want to tell your mental health provider about because it could very well be chemically, there's a nice match there. And then you don't need to go through a number of different clinical trials to find what would work for you. Um, so don't, don't, don't be in extreme pain or in a torturous um, experience. You really go take care of yourself. But also, I, I would also really, I push my clients to say, but don't just see the medication as the cure. You know, take the medication so that you're not overwhelmed. And while you're on the medication, practice all these different tools and techniques that might help you well, isn't your anxiety better? Well, isn't that the point too? Medication doesn't just take away all the problems. Mm -hmm. It gives, it, it allows us to, you know, get to a point where we can implement these new tools and strategies and start to, to implement these new practices. Whereas if I don't take the medication, I'm maybe completely debilitated and I can't, I can't, I can't do any of this stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 So I, I hear you, Dan, that's uh, so um, a, a lot of times if people are overwhelmed, um, they, they are not going to even think of the idea of just sitting and focusing on their breath. That's, that's just not going to happen. Um, it's going to be, I'm going to eat this whole bag of potato chips and, you know, drink a, a quart of Pepsi. So <laughs> <laughs> sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I want to thank you all for joining us today and listening to conversations on sex addiction and relationships. Um, if you like this episode, please share it with friends and family and uh, whomever you uh, think would benefit on your favorite social media. And we will see you next time. Thank you.